Welcome to Postscript with Brian and Dylan. This is where we talk about the previous Sunday's sermon. We kind of dig a little deeper into it, reflect on uh, what was talked about. So this past Sunday's sermon was, Am I Actually a Follower of Jesus? All right, well, we're back here, Postscript. Uh, myself, I'm Brian. This is Dylan. Uh, welcome back, Dylan. We skipped a week last yeah, week. we missed last week. Brian preached, at, but I preached at King's Table Church, a church we partner with, and so we work with us on Mondays, and so we're not able to do it. Well, it's a busy week, because you're going to be gone this week, and you had a lot of stuff to do last week to prepare, so... Yes, but if you know me, you know I'm not busy, so... I didn't say it. Not a busy week. It's a full <laughs> did, week. Did I say busy? But, uh, did yeah, I say busy week? But I feel great. Oh. So anyway, we missed last week. We're back on it this week. All right, so uh, as I mentioned, it's am I actually a follower of Jesus? Kind of a Kind of a bold question to ask. Yeah, that's how we started with it. Yep. Yeah, okay. So, all right. So, we're going to kind of dig deep into that. So, right off the bat, uh, James continues. This is James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. Um, and he continues with this point by saying, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So, this is quoted often. I feel like I hear this a lot within, especially within Christendom. So, why is this emphasis on anger so vital in general, but also to James in this passage? Yeah, so James is hitting on a, a d- number of topics. Again, the, the, the goal is to be, as he's going to talk about here in, in verse 22, a, not a doer, not a hearer, only deceiving yourselves. And so he's hitting a, a bunch of different topics. And um, what would be unwise is to read James and be like, these are the only things. Don't do this and do this, and then you're good. So a little bit later on, he talks about like fitting the widows and orphans in their yep. distress. And so some people will be like, this is the only mark of a Christian. If you're not helping widows and orphans, you're not a true Christian. And again, I would say... That's not why. He's giving practical examples that are real to them. And, of course, in verse 20, he says, For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. And so when we are anger, when we, we are easily angered or we are quick to anger, it will lead us to do things like violence, hurtful speech. It leads us to, to do a lot of things um, that we wouldn't do otherwise. And, uh, you know, we talk a little bit about... And James, James has a lot of stuff that our culture, even if we're not a Christians, we'd like to agree with, at least theoretically, even if we don't live it out. But it's important to understand that James's purpose in saying all this is so that we will be like Jesus. So Exodus 34, verse 6, it says that God is uh, slow to anger. Or anger. Well, has a couple things. When God reveals himself to Moses, says the Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. God slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth. So even things like being slow to anger, it's not like because it's like a nice thing to do. It's because this is who God is. Hmm. And so we, can, we better reflect God when we, when we act like him. Hmm. Okay. I was, um, I can got to get to um, a little personal story later on, but we'll, we'll keep going here. So um, you use the term rightness. Um, right. And so I've, <laughs> when I was editing the the slides for this, I was like, did he did he write a typo? He's like, no, I meant rightness because it's it's righteous. Um, so um, you have it as a, maybe a better practical way to explain righteous. So what were you what were you wanting to convey by doing that? Yeah, it's a little confusing, and I didn't dive in on it Sunday. I won't dive into a lot of it here. But there's there's a, there's tension between you know James and Paul because James says you're saved by faith, and then Paul or Paul says you're saved by faith, and later on in James, which we'll hit in a couple weeks, James talks about faith without works is dead. Hmm. And so we're going to dive into that, but even how Paul and James use the word righteous, they use it in a slightly different sense. And so um, Paul oftentimes, long story short, (laughs) oftentimes is focusing on like the here and now. So when we trust in Jesus, we are made righteous before God because Jesus' righteousness has been imputed Mm -hmm. or given to us that he's perfect and we're not. When James talks about like righteousness and you know faith, especially when we get to that famous passage in James two in a couple of weeks, he's talking about it in a future sense. So like if you're following Jesus today, you are saved, but you don't realize all of your salvation until you meet 
Jesus face to face. And ultimately, when Jesus returns, he makes all things new. So we're, we're saved, but we don't like experience like all the things that go into that here. And so for James, we use the word righteousness is just like a it's like a religious word that like people hear but maybe don't know what it means. And so we I used rightness a lot yesterday and throughout the book of James because I think that best helps us understand what he's talking about. That rightness is in terms of like a right behavior, um, conducting one's life according to the will of God or according to his standards. So if God is right and what he does is right and good, mm-hmm. when we live like him, we will also be right. And when we don't live like him, we will be unright or unrighteous. And so one of the things of yesterday was uh, anger does not produce the rightness of God. Now, literally, you could say anger does not produce the righteousness of God, but like again, what does that mean? God is slow to anger, and oftentimes in our anger, we can do things that are not loving and not kind. And so if we want to be right, like God is right, then we need to emulate him in how we live. And so that's why I use the word rightness a lot, because I think that encapsulates what, what James is saying throughout his book. Would you say that um, the word righteous, I think, when compared to... Like James, so when we're contrasting Paul and James, righteous is almost like a, uh, like a, like a position that we have. Like we make that decision. Now we have a different position uh, in, in our relationship with God, and then the righteousness that James talks about is, well, well how do you demonstrate that, or how can right. that be, uh, yeah, demonstrate how it can be shown? And so, because righteous does seem like a. I think we often use it as like a one-time thing. Yep. I think rightness is just almost like implies this is now how you practically live out your life to demonstrate. You demonstrate your righteousness by your rightness. Right. So Maybe. if you believe in Jesus and you trust in him, then your life will demonstrate what that looks like. And of course, the tension, and we get through this throughout James, especially when we get to the faith that works is dead, is that faithfulness to Jesus looks different for different people. And we want like a clean cut. If you've been following Jesus for two years, this is what it looks mm-hmm. like, five years. But your background, your history, your culture, what you've experienced, what's happened to you, these all impact how you follow Jesus. And so it's not so much here are the benchmarks for following Jesus as so much, at least to me, of here's where I am and here's where I've been changed and here's where I'm growing with Jesus. And it's going to look for different people, look different for different people. But regardless, if you are a follower of Jesus, there are things that are different about you that would not be true if you were not following Jesus. There's like a, a right action or a right behavior that is closer to Jesus than if you were not following him. When we'll get to kind of uh, when Dylan talked about the practical part, um, orphans and widows, you know, it's towards the end of this, yeah. this passage. So we'll, we'll touch on that. Um, kind of going back to, to anger, not going back to anger, this whole passage is about anger, but also um, a couple of other things. James seems, James seems to jump around a lot, but in his mind, it makes sense. Um, that's all. That, that's all that matters. But um, talk about anger. I've I've exp- I've shared this with Dylan, and he has said to me, you know, you have yet to see. I don't, don't want to say my anger full throttle, but like um, I've I'd say it's more. I've I've always struggled with being overwhelmed by my own emotions. I think that's the best way to put it. Um, trying to you know figure out how to how to you know, solve that or different ways to, uh, it gets to the point when I'm playing like basketball, I have to play at like 80% and not a hundred so that I don't push myself past my limit. Um, and so self-control is, is more of that issue here. So I get, I get a little personal with that because it kind of leads into this. I want to kind of get your, your take on it. Um, what do you mean by anger is not a personality defect? Cause I know I can't use it as excuse, but it's oftentimes any any kind of personality issue or something you struggle with, you say, "Well, this is just kind of the way I am." Um, but you, there is a, I think there's a difference between also having a propensity towards these things. So what? Um, I don't know. It just it just stuck out to me. I, I had forgotten that you had mentioned it, but what what is anger? Yeah, so what is I the think personality defect? James hits a lot of things very quickly. Yeah, and if you on a surface level reading, it does seem like where's the connection points? 
to me, I actually think as I've been studying it, it's actually more connected than I originally mm. thought. Because again, he's giving like specific examples and then trying to draw a point. So here he's talking about anger, and then he goes on to say, you know, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. He's not saying that anger only is the filth and the mm-hmm. evil, but it's like here's here's why because anger is one way that can produce these things. And so we talked mm-hmm. about anger because that's what he's talking about here. But this can go for anything. Oftentimes, what people say. It just is what it is. It's always going to be an issue for me. You know, it's kind of like this self-defeating talk. Now, I don't want to be like all new agey, but but what you say oftentimes is true. I mean, if you think of a coach or a parent or a teacher who spoke in, like spoke like life into you for whatever reasons, believed in you when you didn't, and you like rose to the occasion, it's because they they were they said no, I do. You didn't think you could. They said you could, and then you did because you trusted and you believed in them. And so, so often, man, even just like practically speaking. So oftentimes, it's, it's part of why, for example, I don't like the word busy. Because again, to me, it's like a negative self-talk thing of like, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm mm. just always overwhelmed. I'm like, well, the people that I like really respect, who have like literally the most going on, never use that word. Because I think part of it is just like, I can't do anything about it. And so anger is the same way for James. Uh, Jesus, he says, for, in John chapter 8, he says, for, the son, for freedom, the Son has set you free. And so it is not a biblical idea to say, I will always struggle with X. Now, you might always struggle with mm-hmm. X, but you cannot say that this will always be the case because in Christ, he can change desires. That doesn't mean all your desires will be changed or you will be free from them, but it is an unbiblical concept to assume that I have this issue where James could be anger, or but it could be a number of things, mm-hmm. and to say, well, there's nothing I can do about it or I, will, it is, it is, I am who I am or I'll always be this way because, again, he can change hearts, minds, and desires. I think the point here that I want to emphasize is that whatever your issue is, again, James is using anger as an example, you can grow in this. And so when we say things like, it's always going to be this way, well, we are assuming a truth that what's the point of trying because I can't change it. Now, again, I want to emphasize, you might always struggle with anger, but I want to emphasize, you don't know that. And I do not believe as a follower of Jesus, you have to, your, your battle with anger has to be the same as it always is. As you have rhythms and practices of following Jesus, and you walk with the Spirit, and you trust that He can change these things, it does not have to be as prevalent. Now again, you know, we talked this on Sunday, like this is a weighty passage because He talks about your tongue and anger and all these things, and there will be all, all of us will have times where we are unrighteously angry, like really, whatever. But it doesn't have to be as frequent, and it can be less frequent. And I just want to emphasize, like again, the, the way of Jesus is not, I have this issue, there's nothing I can do about it, just I am who I am. The way of Jesus is, I have this issue, how can walking with the Spirit help me, and, and, and believe that maybe one day I will be healed of this, but if not, I'm going to at least see improvement. Mm. And so I just, again, I just think it's so easy for us to be like, well, it is what it is. I'm just like, that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus doesn't say it is what it is. Mm. He says, come and follow me into a better way. Well, that was going to be my follow-up question, like, you know, to say that you'll always struggle with it, like you said, you don't you don't know that for sure. Right. So you can't use basically you can't use it as a as an excuse or as a crutch. That might be the case, yeah. but you won't know that until you're much older. Yeah, uh, I know for me and my anger, I'd say it's more like emotion. So it's like, you know, the world kind of tells you guys aren't supposed to cry. Um, we do. Um, anyway, <laughs> it's like it's this swing of emotions. It's either cry or get angry. So that's kind of. Um, you know, for, for me, I'm trying to be practical. Like, yes, James talks about there's a lot of things that we struggle with, but for me, this this hits home. And as I've grown in my walk with the Lord, I've known Dylan for about three years now, um, but as I've grown, I, I used to, like, if someone would, like, cross me up in basketball, like, basically get by yeah. me, I would... I would shove him so he wouldn't get the best. Like there was this rep- – I don't know if it was like my pride was hurt or I was anger or angry. So I, when I look back at that 20 years ago 
and look at where I am now, it's drastically different. Right. Do I still have this propensity to get anger? Uh, angry? Yeah. I mean, I, and I personally think I may always struggle, but I can't say that definitively, and I also can't use that as an excuse. But even in that, it's not what it was. Oh, so no. You, you no. Oh, my gosh. This you mentioned this day. earlier, uh, and we were talking about, like, yeah, anger's a thing. Sometimes I blow up, whatever. Or not say whatever. You, you yeah, talked yeah. about it. And then I, that's why I've been like, you haven't. Part of it was like, so you're saying these things, and I think we're using Brian as a vulnerable example here. <laughs> you're viewing yourself as you were 20 years ago. And so you're, you're believing this lie that, like, I, I get really angry. And, like, yeah, sure, we all get angry, but you don't get angry the way you did 20 years ago. Yeah. No, but, you, yeah. but would you believe it? And so what's one, it reminds me of, like, um, like in, in premarital counseling or just marriages in general, like, meet with a lot, you know, couples, obviously, as a pastor at New City and... And uh, one of the things we talk about, Christine talks about as well, because she works for a marriage ministry, it's like it's really easy for us to believe things about our spells that were true maybe 10 years ago, but not now. And so there might be improvements, or might be changes, or it might be intentionalities in ways that they've gotten better at these things. But we still view it, we still view them or say things as, as, as if it was mm-hmm. 10 years ago, and not like acknowledging, yeah, just because they maybe blew up one time, it doesn't mean they blow up five times a week like they used to. And so acknowledging yeah. the change there. Mm-hmm. And so while it is true, yeah, anger is an issue that you'll deal with, all of us will deal with, yeah, but, yeah. you know, using an example, it's different than it was. And so it's easy, easy to believe that there has been no sanctification there when there has been. Yeah. No, that's that's Because it's like, yeah, it used to be almost like once or twice a day, yeah. and now it's like where the occurrence of that happening might just be, I don't want to say normal, but the same as someone else who would blow up who would say they don't have a problem with yeah. it. And going um, with, yeah. I mean, we, we didn't do yours last week, but you talked about trials and temptations and sin, and there's, you know, various debates and views yeah. on this, but you know, it says Jesus was tempted in, in all ways that we are in Hebrews 4, yet did not sin. So just because we have this desire to do something, and I think James is hitting at this in his book, if we resist that desire and do not act on it, that is a successful thing. Mm. So somebody, I mean, we're human, right? So we always will have a, we can all get angered, and each of us triggered in different ways. But just because we might be easily triggered to be angry, it does not mean we have to act on that. Mm. And so maybe part of it for some of us too is that like, you still feel as angry as you used to be, or not maybe as angry as you used to be, but like propensity to get angry. But the reaction is way different. And yeah. So just because we feel that way, we feel like we've done the thing, but it's like we have to decide are we going to fall into this temptation or not. And so I, the temptation maybe never will go away, mm. but the ability to resist it can grow with time. And I think that it kind of goes back to like James' point, as you, as you grow, you may always... Have, be triggered by these certain ways and stuff like that, but the, the evidence of your faith, yeah. faith that works, is when you look back a year, two, five years, the way you react is drastically different. And you'll have moments where it's like, wow, I, I feel like, you know, I'm the same person I did 10 years ago, and that's where Satan will attack you, but that that happens. We're, yeah, it's just something that happens, but you can't you can't see yourself in that light, like, like you said. Um, right. So that's... I learned something today. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so... <sighs> One thing that I forgot, so we review these sermons probably like a couple weeks in advance um, so that Dylan can kind of, you know, just throw part ideas off. Yeah, and just, part of the yeah, sermon writing process. Part of the writing process, yeah. yeah. Um, so one of the things I had forgotten you mentioned in a review, and then when it came up, I'm like, wow, I really like this, is uh, you talked about, so we got verse 21, and you referred to you cannot drift into righteousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is very key. What's, what's going on here in this 20, verse 21 context? Yeah, so, I mean, everywhere, so he says to remove the sin and the filth from your life, and the imagery is there, like, it's like taking off dirty clothes. It's like, a, it's like an active thing you have to do. They don't, like, 
just come off on themselves. You have to remove them. And all throughout Scripture, sin is described as an as an active thing. It starts like right in the beginning with the garden, and then Cain and Abel, and they both sacrifice to God in Genesis four. And Abel's is, is accepted, and, and Cain's is not. Cain gets really upset, and God's like, you know, be careful because sin is a croucher, like waiting to devour you. It's not a passive passive thing is an active thing. Satan is actively trying to pull you away. And so what that means for us is that you will not drift into righteousness or to or drift into rightness. And so to be righteous, you must receive the word that is given you and you must live out what you have heard. So um, if we think like, hey, I'm, I'm fine because I read about it, I heard about it, it's not going to happen. Like we're either intentionally growing closer to Jesus or we're not. There, there is no like neutral position. Huh. Especially if you read the scriptures and it talks about spiritual warfare and that Satan's the father of lies. And again, he's actively trying to per- pull you away from Jesus in various ways that some ways we don't even think about it. Like we think like demons and exorcisms, but oh. he's going to do what's most, uh, most effective in each culture, and it's different for different cultures. And so I think demons and like exorcisms in, in the modern Western culture would actually scare you into like maybe looking into God. <laughs> yeah. Or in other cultures, first century, that it wouldn't be the case. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, you're not going to drift. So you got to be intentional. I think about. I thought a lot about how Paul. I think this is in First or Second Timothy, where Paul talks about uh, to Timothy training and godliness. I'm actually going to talk about this in a couple weeks. But um, you don't. You don't. Um, a lot of times we just pretty much like white knuckle our faith. Like we believe one thing that Jesus can change us, that He's good, that He's. But then, like when it comes to like resisting evil or anger or whatever, we just like try our best, mm. and we don't. We haven't trained ourselves to resist it. So, for example, you can't like roll out of bed and run a marathon, but you can if you've trained yourself. And so we, like, say one thing, and then we act like we can run a marathon without training. And so I was thinking about this last week. Like, part of me, like, get frustrated, like, in this current season of life where I feel like maybe the last half of the day, like, towards the end of the workday and in the evening, I'm I'm not as patient, Mm -hmm. at least internally. I'm more easily aggravated than I am earlier. And I get, like, frustrated because, like, I do, you know, my time in the Word in the morning. And then I'm like, why is, like, the second half of the day always so hard? (laughs) Like, why can't I just, like, be good? Like, why do I need, like, a second... Mm. ritual thing that I've now started to do like before I walk into the house or around four o'clock. But then it's like you read the New Testament, it's like Jesus got away constantly. Mm. And so we, we want to act like Jesus without doing what Jesus did, where he was away, he was praying, he was fasting. And so I not now of course we're not Jesus, but like he was heavily there's debates here, we don't have to get into it, but like obviously I believe Jesus was hundred percent man, hundred percent God. Like he was God when he was here. However, I think what's easy for us is to lean into the God piece and not say, well, the fact that Jesus was so effective is because he was walking with the Spirit, and he did things that aligned him with the Spirit that we don't do, or we do very infrequently. So why should we expect to live a godly life if we are very infrequent in our training of living that godly life? Hmm. It kind of reminds me also, uh, last week I had mentioned, um, I encouraged, um, you know, our people to don't set yourself up. Uh, for sin, or like if there's a temptation, there was a story of this boy, and his dad told him not to go to the canal and swim, and so he went down the canal with his swim trunks, and the father asked, well, why'd you do this? Like, well, in case I got tempted, you know? Right. And so he, he set himself up, and so it's it's kind of connected to that, where like, when you set yourself up, you are not disciplined. Right. You know, I think part of being disciplined, part of learning not to drift into it is preparing beforehand. Yep. And um, I just think, yeah, James is kind of continuing that thread. And I think uh, with that point, I think a lot of times view our sin like that, like I'm not going to set myself up for sin, but not I'm not going to actively resist it. Hmm. So there's a difference between like not setting yourself up, you know, like, hey, like, you know, obviously that fun example is he's like, I'm not going to bring, you know, to to bring your swim trunks is to set yourself up. So I think I'll also be like, well, I wouldn't bring my swim trunks, which is great. But the better step would be to 
avoid the canal altogether. altogether. Yeah, and maybe like walk home a different way, whatever. I mean, that's a fictional story. Yeah, yeah. And so we think like, well, I'm not like trying to sin, but I'm also not doing anything not to sin, mm-hmm. and so therefore we're not pursuing the rightness of God. So we have to be active. Otherwise, even if you're not like going out of your way to do it, when the temptation arises, if you're not in a way to resist it, then like then you won't. Well, what's that? What's that phrase? The best, the best offense is a great defense. It's like well. Kind of, but for me, some of the best teams in any sports have a great offense yeah. and a great defense, yeah. and I feel like that's kind of, you know, avoiding or not wanting to set yourself up, but also being active is kind of two parts of the same coin, yep. uh, two sides. So, all right. So speaking of sports, um, you you put up a picture <laughs> of uh, one of the just, I don't know what one of the NBA players that we all know, but not for like the right reasons, not because he was awesome. You knew who he was. I know Brian Scalabrini. Yeah, I feel like most people don't know. Yep, though. I do. I because he was. Was he was Brian Scalabrini. I, I think most I mean, people don't. Brian, know. I'm Brian, yeah, Brian. So I kind of, but like it was in like early 2000s, yeah. late 90s. Yeah, okay. So I kind of. Oh, here's here's the redhead coming off yes. the bench. <laughs> yeah. I guess you're around. You're an NBA fan. Around that yeah, time. I was around that time. So I actually make the point that I don't anymore because now the NBA is just like. Uh, children's rec ball, dribble, you're, dribble, you're, shoot you're from like another zip you're code. You're that every time. Oh yeah, anyone absolutely. who gets older thinks that they're golden age. Oh yeah, no, it was. That's yeah. that's that's what the, that's why when there's like generational years, wars. When I was like ten years old. I committed within myself never to be that person, never to be a curmudgeon. I, I remember like people talking about when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I was like, I'm not going to do that. I remember being hearing that all the time. And now I'm you know 30s, and now I've like got peers that are starting to say that because again, we all, we all think when we were 10, the world was the best. Yes, because yes. At, average speaking, you had no responsibilities. Yep. Um, you know, you life life was good. Like you had like you had free time. Like it's like the pinnacle of your life is around like eight to ten years old in terms of like the freeness of it. Now I know there's differences there, and so a lot of people like view that as like the all time. I also think it's funny too because all of us have only lived a very st- a few decades, or you know, a few decades, or even if you're like eight decades, it's still a few in human history. And so like we don't really know. We all we know is our own lived experience and our own culture at our own time. And so we we make these absolute judgments. All I have to say, the, no, the fact that I'm making fun of the NBA now, I feel like you got a little triggered. I think you did. Well, this because... is just an example. Of like, <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, no, I. Uh, so you when you were like, I don't want to be like that when I grew yes. up. I aspired. I'm like, I'm going to be a curmudgeon. Regardless, <laughs> Brian Scalabrini played 11 years. <laughs> yeah. never played. Hardly ever had a long career for someone who never played, and uh, sorry. Anyway, yeah, no. So you can. I gave an example um, to illustrate basically verse twenty-two, which talks about deceiving yourself. So yep. kind of, kind of. I you like know, that example. It was very helpful. James says, "Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself." And the whole point here is that, like, you can go to church, you can hear the word, you can, and we think we're good. But it's like we're well, only way to know we're quote unquote good is if we actually do what we hear. Hmm. It's not enough to hear it, and so it's really easy for us to say something but then not actually do it, and then think we're good. So I use like the for example of like Brian Scalabrini, who played eleven years, hardly scored his last couple of years, had the worst at least as a couple of years ago had the worst rating ever in one of the NBA two K games, and you would assume like the people on the bench like oh I could beat them or not beat them but like you, you think your your gap is not that big. Yeah, if you play yeah. basketball a lot. And then he has like this thing on YouTube called the Brian Scalabrini Challenge, where he like plays all these people. It started when he was forty-two years old. They've been out of the league for a while. Some guy challenged him, and he beat him eleven to zero. And he like he never loses. He destroys absolutely everybody. Yeah, yeah. And so it's easy to say one thing, and then when you're confronted, you're not. And so it's easy for us to assume we're good, everything's mm. great, whatever. And then like, but what is our? What have we actually done? Hmm. That actually, according to James, shows if we're right with God or not. Yeah, I just I just thought it was great because I've thought the same thing. Like I don't know, man. I think I could score at least one point. Well, and it's on deceiving because, like, and if you're not a basketball player, it's hard to. But if you yeah. are, if you don't watch basketball, but if you watch basketball, especially in the NBA, the floor is very spaced out. 
that's one-on-one, like people are open. If you play like pickup basketball, it's not like that at all. Mm. And so you assume, well, like if I was in the NBA and only had, you know, one person guarding me, but it's because they're so good. Like yeah. they don't have to be like right up on top yep. of you. And they, they've got like schemes that they're running. So it's like this, this thing of like, you think you can do something that you really can't. And anyway. Yeah. No, it's, and you deceive yourself. Um, yep. So, so uh, one of the, one of the, I think it was a close to the last point that you made, you said you believe what you do. Now, this seems, I think it seems quite odd when our Next Steps individual is closing out the service. He was he was reading, and he's like... Doing a run-through, yeah. Doing a run-through. He's like, no, it's not. So actually, you, you think it'd say you do what you believe. He's like, that's what, is that written right? And yeah. you're like, no, it's actually, you know, you believe what you do. So why why is it phrased maybe differently yeah, like James that? James' whole point is you can say one thing. If you don't actually do it or act on it, then you're deceiving yourself. So I gave some really practical examples. If you believe that marriage is good, if you're married and your marriage is important, then you will do things to have a create to create a happy marriage. You'll be intentional. You have date nights, whatever. If you don't, you and you say, "Well, I think it's important." You you don't actually believe that. If you don't do anything, it doesn't matter what you say. You don't actually believe that, or you would do it. You would prioritize it. Um, I, I usually give a like if, if I believe it's important for me to be present in my kids' lives, I will do things that will prioritize and making sure that I'm I show up for my kids. If not, it doesn't matter what I say. If my work schedule or whatever is like nothing, it does not is not impacted at all by having my having kids. Then it does not matter how what I say about the importance. I don't believe it because I don't do it. Or a, a, a real example like if we everyone believes forgiveness is like an important mm. thing, Christian or not. But if if you believe that, then there then there will be people that you are friends with right now, have relationships right now that you've had to forgive. If you've like canceled everybody or like turned your back or like anytime and obviously sometimes you've been really wounded. I'm not saying you need to be friends. If there's times where like the relationship needs to be severed. But we should have people that we've forgiven and like are good with like right now. If not, then we say forgiveness is important, but we never actually do it. We don't actually do it. And so for James, again, don't he says, you know, if you're a hearer of the word, not a doer. You're like looking at your face, and you forget, and you meet, you leave, you immediately forget. You are deceiving yourself. You believe what you actually do. Now, it's not you're not going to be perfect, not at all times, but there's going to be at least this desire, and there will be times that demonstrate. Again, it's going to be different based on how long you've been following Jesus, that sort of thing. But you believe what you do, not what you think or not what you say. It's what you actually do. Hmm. Is it? Would you? I think of the old saying, uh, "Actions speak louder than words," and I, that seems kind of like I don't say worldly, but like everybody says that. Um, would you say that this is kind of like that, or or is it go a little deeper than that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd have to think about it. My, yeah. my my initial thought is not it's not necessarily that actions speak louder than words, but actions speak. Like actions mm. are your words. Okay. So it's not like a, a competition, but if you say something, you'll do it. Otherwise, you don't believe what you say, and you can deceive yourself by feeling really good because you said the right thing, but you didn't do it. Mm. And so we can like justify in ourselves all the reasons why we didn't do X, Y, or Z, and then like make sure, make like seem like it's okay. But according to James, according to Jesus, who's you know son of God, you're not good. Mm. You're, you're not right with God if you do nothing, no matter what you say. So again, again, use the example of like people say, well, I have a friend that's a pastor, or I went to church as a kid, or I've prayed a couple times, or I prayed a prayer one time, and it's like here are the things that happened to, that I experienced at some point or did at some point, and now I'm good. But James is like, this isn't like something you did 10 years ago. It's something that you're actively, actively doing. doing. Now, of course, we can repent and and you know, be honest when we fail and, and that sort of thing, but if we don't ever do these things and we don't ever repent, then then we just got to be honest that we're not following Jesus. No matter what we say, we're not actually following Jesus because we believe what we do. It reminds me of, I'm not sure if I've shared this in a postscript before, but um, I know because it's a early show, but I, I might have, but uh, when I was when I was leading the, we did communion last week, and I actually led the our, our serve team in it before um, run-through, or after run-through was over, and I had kind of given the story of, I was 
at odds with like a really close friend of mine. We worked together, uh, we hung out a bunch, and then just certain things were said out of anger or. Um, That's why I wasn't there on Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's right. Brian, well, yeah, so mad. please forgive me. Um, and if you don't, then <laughs> yeah. we're gonna have to. That's right. Scrap this episode. But I was, I was basically so when when going through and taking communion, like you do not want to drink or eat judgment upon yourself. Basically, if you're participating in a communion and you still have, like, I, I would personally say, active sin or active unforgiveness uh let it let it pass through you because a lot of times that's an evidence of you know it, it doesn't mean that you're not a christian or not a follower of christ but it's it's almost like this i don't i'm not worthy to remember what you did for me in your forgiveness because there's still unforgiveness in my heart and what it's supposed to do is then spurn you on yeah. to forgiveness and so when i went through that the fact that i looked around and and i'm not you know toot my own horn here but like it was it's it worked. It's. I mean, the Bible is true. You know, you you gotta try these things. Um, when I saw that, um, I think this was when the bread and the cup were, was passed out. You didn't go up to a table. However, you know, different churches do it a different way. But when I saw everybody else participating and I'm there praying and I'm actually asking for forgiveness, it still was so. It was so convicting, um, and and it was it was freeing in that fact. Where at that moment, I believed that forgiveness to my friend was true, and I needed to finally actually live that out and, yeah. and demonstrate that. Um, and so I think that's kind of what James is saying. Like, right now, actively, yeah. um, you believe what you do. Um, okay, so last thing here. Um, I had a little more to talk about, but uh, we got a little distracted with the NBA. Um, <laughs> one final verse, verse 27, uh, says, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So how are we to use this to demonstrate Faith that works, which is kind of the um, the subheading of our series, and how does this tie into your last reflective question of this? Am I actually a follower of Jesus? Yeah. So James uses the word religion there. How we kind of think of it, he's basically talking about rituals that you go through, and he's talking to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. So you would think of like you go to the temple, you do your sacrifice, you give you give your offering, you do the purification rituals. Maybe for our you know sense, you go to church, you pray, you give, you serve. These are the rituals that you do, which are not bad. But how do you how do you know when you're doing these rituals whether or not they are legit, or are they, or are they not? And so, because um, he talked about before again in verse twenty six, if anyone thinks he's religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. So then he uses the tongue as an example. And his point, for example, when, when he uses the language, is how do you speak about others? Is it honorable and loving? Is it demeaning or dismissive? Do you gossip? Do you tear each other's, the others down? Do you build others up? And his point is because at the temple you act like this, you do this, you sing praises to God which is going to hit on in James chapter 3 as well. But in your, in your everyday life, you act like this. You use your same tongue to say this, to bring curses to whatever. And so he's saying, don't deceive yourself by thinking you are good by going through religious rituals, which are fine, and they are good, and, we, and they're helpful to us. But just because you go through those rituals, that is not what makes you quote-unquote good. How you live your day-to-day -day life actually shows whether or not what you're doing on a Sunday, in our case, or you know, whatever you spend time with Jesus, is legit. He's not saying that you, I mean, you must be perfect, <laughs> but he is saying, has there been a desire to honor Jesus throughout your life, or sorry, without, throughout your week, for example? If not, um, you're still welcome here, and we should still come and worship, and we should still confess. And uh, if you're, But if you're doing that in the sense of, like, I'm good because I'm here, regardless of how I acted, then you're not good. Mm. If you're here in the sense of, hey, I blew it this week, and I'm repentive, and God, would you give me grace? Then yes, then that's a good thing. And so again, he gives a positive example of um, orphans and widows. Again, the first century, it's already it's hard to be a widow even today. Yeah. Um, in the first century, it was even harder because so, so much of your 
if you're a woman, your status in society was always tied to a man. Um, husband or a father or a brother or an uncle. And um, I mean, even like in America, this was true until like 50 years ago. Oh. I mean, if you're for, until very recent in, in history, I mean, women couldn't vote, couldn't, they couldn't uh, get a loan, couldn't buy a house, oh. couldn't get a credit card unless they had a husband, a father, or whatever sign off on this. And some people listening to this might be old enough to remember some of this stuff. <laughs> and so you just couldn't function. Like you couldn't, you couldn't do anything. There was very little money making possibilities. So if the first century ancient world, a widow was in a very, oh. a widow and, and an orphan or even kids with a mom without any father yep. figure or male presence, man, they are not in a good spot. And so again, in James' context, even though Jerusalem was maybe a bigger than average city, it's not like today where people move around. You, 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 for the most part, you live, you die, you know people. Like you just, you know your people. And so when he says this, there's no doubt that there's people in their mind that fit this category. And James is like, how do you treat them? Now, again, I would say this is not the only way to be a Christian. So some people would read this. If you, again, if you, re- if you view the Bible as like a systematic theology textbook where every verse is its own, own bullet point, oh. it's like, unless you're like, I don't know, adopting people, kids, and like giving to widows' ministries, you're not a true Christian. I think for us, the thing is, how do you interact with people that are marginalized and oppressed? And it's, it's hard, and maybe in our culture, because they're so, it's so much bigger, we're so much disconnected, we're not as local. But like when you have people who come across and have needs, here's how you know that, again, what you do on Sundays, for example, is legit. Do you care for them? And so again, I raise the question, is there anything in your life or my life that actually says, I care for people who are in need, other than just, I say that I do? And, uh, and so, yeah, that, w- that goes, again, if you read James 1, if you're there yesterday, or on Sunday, the last question is, am I actually following Jesus? Like, that's like, we have to ask. Pretty again, heavy. My encouragement was, if you ask that question, and if you're actually concerned, and you're actually convicted about some of the things that James talks about, that, that means probably yes, because if you weren't, you would not care. Mm-hmm. Now, you might be like, hey, I need to be a better person, but like, whatever. Like, if you actually care, then like... You know, and if you're actually showing up, it probably means... Like, I don't think most people... I know this is the case, and it's the caricature or whatever... Most people who are showing up to church on a Sunday are not the, I'm good because of this, but I can live however I want huh. during the week. Yeah. Um, now, it might be like in the beginning, or if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, but most people, man, they've been doing this for a while, like, that, that's, not, that's, not the, that's not the intent. Mm-hmm. And so, again, even coming with a posture of, hey, I've, I've sinned, that is a welcome posture of the Lord. And so, again, I, I said on Sunday, man, my encouragement is to um, be honest with your sin, so repent of your sin. Trust Jesus and walk with Him, and you just—that's the cycle over and over and over again. If we just repent, trust, and walk with Him, I think that's the encouragement. We should ask ourselves, "Am I following Jesus?" And um, but my encouragement is, I th- most of us, I think, man, if we're striving after Jesus, I, and I end with John, uh, verse John, verse chapter two, talking about Jesus is our advocate, man, He's like He loves you, and so to keep pursuing Him and just be honest. The problem, the hypocrisy runs when we like pretend like our sin doesn't matter. And so if there's any conviction there, you're like, yeah, my sin, my sin matters, then, then keep pursuing that. Well, it's almost, it, it was a good question because it can be, apply, it can be applied to anything. So James is written to, to Christians. Um, and so your question, though, am I actually a follower of Jesus? Some might think that they are because they, they showed up that Sunday, they occasionally uh, will give or, or do this and that. And so it's almost like wherever you are on that cycle, you can answer that question. Well, if, if, you're, if you're not convicted or you haven't ever repented of your sins— this may be the moment it's like, no, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I need to become, and then you, you say yes to the gospel, and then you're into his family. Or it could be on the other side, it's like, no, I haven't been this week, or I haven't been actively, but I've, I'm here because I want to deal with that. Yeah. And so that's still an appropriate right. response. So right. it's like, you've got this cycle, but let's say this cycle has three steps, but you could be on different parts of that cycle, and that question still applies, am I a follower of Jesus? So I, I like that it wasn't like, it wasn't like, 
condemning or like pointing the finger. It was like, wherever you are, however you feel, you have to ask yourself this question. And a lot of times the answer is yes, but you have to read James more. Yeah, here's how you grow in your faith. And I think this is why context is so crucial. And Mm. we'll get into this a little bit later on, James, like the debate between Paul and James. Who they're writing to matters. Mm. James is writing to Jewish Christians who have grown up. I'm, I'm an Israelite. I'm God's chosen I'm good because of my ethnicity and just my who I am, because of my family. And so he's trying to teach them that you are not good based on some association, based on the fact that you're an Israelite. You're good if you've repented of your sins and are walking with Jesus. That's what makes you good. And so again, later when he talks about like faith, uh, work, faith without works is useless, um, it's not just, again, I, all this matters, and it's, maybe it's a side thing, but it's like he's, if he was writing to someone different, he would write and emphasize different, different things. Yeah. He's writing to people who are tempted to believe mm-hmm. that I am good because I'm an Israelite. It doesn't really matter. I can do the rituals. Even if my heart's not into it, I can check off the box, and I'm good. And he's like, that's not true. Paul, on the other hand, predominantly in a lot of his letters, sometimes they're a mix of Jews or you know ethnic Jews and Christians. A lot of times they're not, though. A lot of times they're Gentiles, or there's a lot of Gentiles in it. If you're a Gentile and you're coming into the, the way of Jesus— which is, has its origin in Judaism, you've kind of been told by Jews, probably, if you had any interaction with them, that you're, like, not a part of God's family, mm. and you're, in like, you're in exile, and you're whatever. And so he's, he's, like, wanting them to know, like, no, 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 it's not... You can be a Gentile and be welcome to the family of God. What they're trying to emphasize and teach is different. And so, again, for James, his point is still valid for all of us, but his audience is people that are very tempted to assume, I'm good because I have this association. And he's like, no, you're good because of Christ and whether or not you follow him. It's kind of like, so I don't have kids. You've got two, Finley and Remen. Um, You're going to perhaps discipline them or approach them when they've done something wrong in very different ways because of how they respond, um, how they hear correction. And so you would have two different contexts. And I really think that's what's... Yep. What's going on here? You have this same the, the underlying principle principle for you and your kids is like you want them obviously to honor their parents, but also to honor God. Right. And how you instruct them to do that is going to look different. Right. So here in Paul, the instruction is different. For James, the instruction is different, but they're complementary. They're not uh, contradictory. Yep. Um, so. Yeah, and we'll get to that in the weeks ahead. Yep. So. Still got uh, four more chapters, right? Yeah, we just finished chapter one. Yep. Yep. So, looking forward to uh, talking more postscript. You can uh, listen to us on any any podcasting platform and then watch us on our YouTube channel and uh, New City RDU so follow us on that and uh, we'll talk next time later days hey thanks so much for checking out this video we upload new videos every week to help encourage you and your faith in Jesus so be sure to subscribe to this channel so that you never miss a thing